pad up. It's the Australian Cricket Podcast. And here are your hosts. Hey everyone and welcome to the final instalment of the Autumn Series for 2017. This is a two-part episode. We're starting things off. I've got an interview with Blair Hughes who is studying a PhD in fan engagement. So we get into the nitty-gritty of what makes a good fan experience when you go to the cricket and sporting events. And then to finish off the Autumn Series, I've got our old friend Gav Joshi on the phone from India where we wrap up what's been happening in the IPL, especially for the Aussies. So let's kick things off. I've now got Blair Hughes who is studying a PhD in fan engagement how are you Blair I'm very well how about yourself yeah really good really glad that you're joining us on the show today because your specialty is fan experience and fan engagement is that correct absolutely it's a major passion of mine and I'm a a massive sports fan as, as I imagine you are as well and we're both cricket fans, but um, that is the area that I work in, and I absolutely love uh, working with fans and trying to make the fan experience and give uh, fans extra value for their money when they go to games. That's very important. One of the underlying themes of this podcast since it's started has been how fans experience going to the cricket, how they engage with cricket, and, and I, I believe you're studying a PhD in fan experience. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So I've just started, uh, just started that. Just kicked it off. The initial process of getting it together is, it's a, it's a long-term process uh, that takes about sort of four years or so to complete. So I've just started it, and um, it's basically going to be looking into the the psychology of fans and interviewing different fans across different sports and uh, different different sub uh, sets of of different areas. So music and, uh, and and other areas as well. So it's going to be interesting to to look at different types of fans, how they engage and what they do and how they're different and how I can basically use that research and knowledge to make it easier for, for teams and uh, music artists as well to better manage their fans and, and learn from them. Look, I will say you do piss me off a little bit, Blair, because I've been following your Twitter <laughs> feed religiously and you seem to have been at every, in the last few years, you've been at every major sporting event, every major competition. I mean, where, where, where have you been? Just to give the listeners a bit of a background, give us some countries, give us some uh, different matches and sports you've seen. Yeah, sure. Well, look, you know, look, I'm a, I'm a massive sports fan and I try to get out to both check out different venues. I've done about 70 or 80 different global stadiums across the US, UK, India, uh, Asia in, in probably the last four or so years. But before that, I, I used to work as a teacher and when I was teaching overseas, I used to just go off each weekend and see a different game in England and I'd go and see a different uh, Premier League team play or something like that. Like I definitely have the teams that I support, West Ham United and the Broncos here in uh, in Australia for rugby league, but I love checking out stadium architecture. I love checking out what the security is like at stadiums. I like checking out what uh, the, the stadium stuff do for fans and what teams do for fans. So I really love getting out and travelling and and I think it's really important to actually get out and, and see different perspectives. So in the last couple of years, like this year alone, I've been to India to do uh, three IPL games in Delhi, Bangalore and Mumbai. Um, I did the Super Bowl back in February, which was incredible. Go Pats. Um, yeah, yeah, it was an incredible experience. You should have seen the amount of uh, Atlanta fans and, and Pats fans that were leaving at the third quarter. That was pretty interesting. I, I think they missed an incredible uh, <laughs> turnaround. Did they ever? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, what else have I done? I mean, it's, it's been great. Like I said, a lot of cricket this year as well with the Australian team as well, just here around Australia. 
And then, yeah, went up to North Queensland, saw the Cowboys up there. Really uh, interesting experience up there as well, especially if you like mascots because the Cowboys up in North Queensland have about 27 different mascots. (laughs) But the kids absolutely love it, and that was a really interesting experience. But, yeah, I mean, like I, I make sure I get around and, and, uh, and network and make sure I, I see what's going on and I write about it, I'll write articles or I'll blog about it. And it's it's a great job to be able to, to talk about things that are happening in this field and network and make contacts with people at the clubs. And <laughs> Sounds like a pretty sweet gig, travelling yeah, around, seeing is, all these sporting it events. It is. And, you know, like people say, oh, you must have an endless travel budget or something like that. And it's like, well, I'd, I've been travelling for like the last 15 years. I know how to to save money when, when you travel and I don't stay in the, the, the five-star hotels or fly at the, the pointy end of the plane. I, I know how to save a bit of money and, uh, and do these. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good gig, but um, yeah, it's a, and I had a great job uh, until recently where I was working with a lot more teams and actually, uh, you know, uh, going around and doing that as well. So that was a great opportunity. So yeah. So look, very lucky. <laughs> sounds very lucky. Now, eventually we're going to get to Australia and what's been happening with the fan engagement and fan experience over the Big Bash and how that differs to Test Cricket. But I just want to try and draw on some of your experiences from around the world. Let's start with what fan experiences and fan engagement could be done better. Have you been to some grounds and you're like, no, that hasn't worked? I mean, we saw in the IPL a, uh, a stint where they had some lady giving out apples to the umpires as they came on and then they gave a a ball yeah. and it was some kind of Adam and Eve analogy going on there and it just fell fell flat. You could tell the fans weren't yeah. into it. What about have you seen things like that in and outside grounds? Give us some bad experiences. Yeah, I mean look, a lot of the times, um you know, it's really difficult as well because the sponsors will come in, they'll want to pay this amount of money and then they'll throw it to the stadium or throw it to the team and be like, Okay, you guys go and do something. And then, you know, you've got limited resources, limited money, limited staff resourcing at teams as well for them to, to really go and do something. So the onus then goes on the team. And it's it's difficult at times for them to quickly turn around an idea or do something unique. But, I mean, that is their job. Um, and a lot of the times they do some really interesting things. There has been some stuff, and even just recently in the IPL, when I was walking around some of the stadiums in Delhi and even in Bangalore, You'd have a lot of sponsor setups um, where there was no one even on the stand. There was no product giveaway. So a lot of the fan engagement stuff is often, you know, a, 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 whether it's a piece of uh, a flyer or maybe it's a, a sticker or a trading card that has the sponsor on it. Those things you blow up and just bash together. Yeah, all that type My of stuff. My kids love yeah, them. Exactly. And yeah, and you know they were giving those away at, uh, well, they weren't giving those away. Sorry, at the stadium in Delhi, and it was just a, a stand that was pretty much naked with just the sponsor logos on it. And I thought, you know, you, you can't just do that. You can't just slap up a, a sponsor board and then walk away and expect fans are going to engage with it. Or you can't just put your LED ribbon around the stadium and then walk away and go, oh well, you know, the fans see our logo, they know what we do. So many times I go to stadiums and I see a sponsor logo and I have no idea why they are sponsoring this event. They don't do anything for the fans. There's no connection there. And it's it's a really interesting kind of thing. But, you know, that, that was one thing that I saw recently in India. Um, 
Uh, it was interesting too. There was a, a massive giveaway of free condoms uh, at the Delhi uh, game, the <laughs> Delhi Daredevils IPL game, and, and it was incredible to see the amount of men that were lined up, just going crazy getting those. And, and it was interesting because someone said when I posted that on Twitter live from the game, someone said this is a really bad idea because these are going to go all around the ground. People are going to blow these up and they're going to go all over the stadium. And while some of those did, which is a bad giveaway, sometimes you know you don't want to give away too much um, paper product stuff because it just gets dumped on the floor and it just goes to waste basically but uh this one you know it was funny seeing some of these condoms sort of flying around the stadium obviously fans are being a bit silly about it i'm not sure that would work at the big bash next summer you know the big bash is marketed as a family friendly atmosphere can you imagine someone was just giving away condoms as all the families entered yeah i mean a lot of of teams have done you know the safe sex message is important yeah and there's always a lot of health tie-ins like a lot of teams have done things um for men's health and things like that so this was a fantastic activation by the delhi daredevil maybe the ipl makes the men over there a little bit randy and they were just like well here's some protection (laughs) i'm not sure but um, they were loving it and um it was one of the like i've got a i've got Three massive boxes full of all the fan engagement. Three, materials three massive of... boxes of condoms. <laughs> no, I've got three boxes of all of these uh, fan engagement items that you know I've collected from the Super Bowl and, and cricket games and rugby league games and all that, just as my sort of resource boxes. But I, I didn't end up getting one of these free fan engagement giveaways from over there. So you know, but people were going crazy to get it. But getting back to you know some of the things that just fell flat i think that is often the one thing i see where it's a sponsor that just sort of comes in and doesn't really do anything it doesn't engage with the fans and you know is not the club there is then not listening to to what the sponsor wants to do or, or vice versa and something doesn't happen there there's a disconnect between what they're trying to the, the motivations and what they're trying to do for the fans um, you know, recently, probably the one that springs to mind that fell flat the most was uh, AC Milan did one with Nivea where they did the Haka on the field in a in a game over there in um, in Europe. And it just was just odd and it didn't make any sense. And uh, a lot of people rightly so kind of questioned it. And it was these guys doing uh, the Haka on the field for a football match. So was this like the, the football team did it or they just had some random people doing the Haka? No, it was just some random people from like Nivea wow. basically. <laughs> yeah, so it didn't really work. But, um, you know, a, a lot of the times I'll see it is that kind of issue with the, you know, the idea falling a bit flat. And I haven't heard the one about the apples that you were talking about. So um, what about stadiums around the world? Are there any stadiums that stick out to you as being pretty bad? Like I know the Oakland uh baseball stadium has a reputation that the sewerage often backs up and you get this awful smell <laughs> towards the end of a game. Uh, have you heard, ha, been to any stadiums that just seem like they're out of place now? The, the major thing is uh, I wouldn't want to bag any stadiums. And like, I, I love stadiums, uh, big and old and, and brand new and, and that kind of stuff and whatever. But every stadium in the world is undergoing a massive transformation from technology to infrastructure to to lighting, LED boards, all this kind of stuff. Is the Oakland Stadium the same one that hosts the Golden State Warriors? Because I I did a Warriors game last year and um, that that stadium is quite tight around the concourses, but I can't remember if it if it does... Um, no, I don't think it does. I think it just has the Raiders, yeah. Yeah, Raiders, yeah, yeah. So, you know, but I, I go to a lot of stadiums and there's always great things about them um, and there's always things that, you know, I see that could be improved, like whether it's security. I mean, um, it was interesting at the IPL recently pretty much getting a full full body pat down, uh, which in, included, uh, you know, all over kind of thing, which was a bit... <laughs> uh, 
a bit much. Um, uh, you know, if you've ever been through US, um, the US TSA offices going through any of the airports, you know it's pretty full on. This was uh, very much full on. Uh, and then you've got guys with uh, machine guns behind the, the security checkpoint kind of thing. So it, it's really interesting to see the different types of you know security or different types of interest, infrastructure. In, in Australia, you know, our stadiums do great things, whether it's the MCG doing their cheaper food options um, to ANZ Stadium, having the Wi-Fi. We've got the new Perth Stadium, which they just did a test of the ribbon the other day, uh, which you can see on Twitter if you watch that. That stadium is going to be incredible. So, yeah, there's, there's always really good things um, that are happening at the stadiums. But I guess, yeah, there's things that can always be improved, whether it's... So no stadium stands out to you as being particularly bad. You've, you've got none that spring to mind. I'm just running through my head of all the stadiums that I guess I've done. Um, I mean, when I think of, you know, what constitutes a bad stadium or something like that or a bad stadium experience, I paid $14 US for a tinny of Bud Light, uh, horrible Bud Light watered down beer at the Super Bowl recently, which was probably about $22 Australian. Um, and that was that was definitely, you know, you know that you – I can't stand that kind of idea that, you know, you go to a Super Bowl, you know you've got to pay that kind of event. Like why should an event like the Super Bowl, we have to pay more for the occasion or whatever because everyone who's there has paid, you know, more for their tickets or something like that. I, I don't really subscribe to that idea um, that we should have to pay more because it's just a massive event kind of thing. Well, that's like, a common gripe, isn't it, here about absolutely. Going- Absolutely, yeah, oh, absolutely. Ten bucks for a meat pie and you know eight bucks for a coke. What's going on? Yeah, that's right, that's right. And a lot of stadiums, you know, around the world, they've tried to reduce their prices or they've tried to bring in gourmet food. Um, you know, a big one that I've written about a lot is being uh, craft beer. So a lot of stadiums around the world have brought in craft beer. And uh, you know, I was recently at Lords, and and they, um, I was at Lords on like day four of a county championship game. There was no one there, and they let me try all the different craft beers for free, which was great. Wow. Um, but then you know they've got like their their gourmet pies, and I think they're about seven pounds or something like that. So um, not exactly the cheapest, um, but then it looked a lot better than a typical crappy pie kind of thing. You know, you get from a lot of stadiums anyway or that kind of food so a lot of stadiums like i say they're, they're always trying to improve that experience for fans to get them away from the couch or get them away from their home sports cave and get them back to the ground um to get to the game so you know it, it comes down to those kind of experiences that you can't get at home what about some of your best experiences that you've had around the world it's hard to get a really bad stadium out of you which is good obviously you haven't been to any <laughs> really bad stadiums but what about some of the best experiences cricket and not cricket you know what is what if some ex- things that have stood out yeah absolutely yeah so like i've done a lot of nfl games in the u.s and the nfl games they often have obviously a, a huge space for the tailgating and the car parking area and everything like that so they've got a lot of concourse area where they can do fan activations i found they actually do a lot more than the nba Um, the nba is much more in-game kind of stuff you know some of the coolest stuff i saw in the nba was like a seat downgrade where they have a bit of a joke with a a, an away fan and they put them on the big screen and sort of say you know uh you're, you're our seat downgrade winner for the day kind of thing and then they put them you know, they take them away with security and everyone laughs. It's a pretty funny kind of thing. But that's more your screen stuff. So the NBA does some really great stuff on the screen. The Laker girls are amazing. I saw them last year, boy. They're, they're a proper dance act. The de- well, yeah, and even some of the kids' dance acts are incredible for that stuff as well. But 
Um, Oblivious Cam is another one that's a really cool one where they focus the camera on a lot of people and then they just keep it on them until they notice. And I've seen that go for about three minutes in the past. Uh, so that's pretty funny as well. But the NFL ones are really cool because you've got a whole lot of space there. So the 49ers at, in San Francisco, outside San Francisco, um, was an incredible experience. Um, the the fan engagement and and the activities that were on offer for fans they were incredible. But one of the coolest things was the in seat ordering. So I used their app to be able to find out which toilet had the shortest line. But then I also used their app to be able to order. I think I ordered a uh, hot dog and a, and a drink or something like that. And it took 15 minutes from the time that I ordered it to the time that it came down to my seat. And it was pretty cool. Like that is cool. That was a pretty cool experience to be able to see, see how that You don't worked. want to go to a sporting event and be in the queue a whole time getting your hot dog and drink and miss out on the action. That's right. And, you know, a lot of stadiums have implemented different types of technology around this where you can order it and then you just go up to a, an express line and you pick it up and you take it away. So there's little things that are happening there. But I guess getting back closer to home, I spoke about the Cowboys recently um, in, the, in, in the NRL and, you know, I went up to a game recently up there. It was good fair engagement around the ground and all that but then we noticed that they had like six different mascots for each one of their sponsors and we noticed it one by one there was a giraffe walking down the stairs it took about 20 minutes to walk down the stairs with its binder which was the funniest thing you could see at the game and then there was some weird voodoo looking thing which was for a, a barbecue steakhouse or something like that and then another one appeared but every time they appeared we laughed at the, the people i was with we laughed and we were just like these mascot outfits they, they look ridiculous but the kids ran down from the hill to the to the fence, getting an autograph, getting a high five. And, you know, it was incredible to see how effective this actually was, just getting a different mascot for every sponsor, basically. So, um, yeah, that was pretty cool as well. The cricket here in Australia, like, um, I've done a lot of the test matches across Oz the last couple of years. And last year they did the Field of Flavours or Flavours of Field or whatever it was called. And, and that was a really good way to showcase it. Was in Adelaide, I think? Yeah, it was in Adelaide. Um, they had that one there. But I, I think I went to the Adelaide test match and I went to Brisbane. Um, obviously, Brisbane having the uh, the pool deck that I mean that was a sensational idea kind of thing. Oh, I love the pool. I think loved it. <laughs> every, every stadium should figure out how they put one of those in their summer in their stadium. Well, maybe we so. could get a crocodile. I was thinking, you know, they do in America. They have like <laughs> water with like manta rays and all this stuff. We could get a a crocodile or something in a cricket ground somewhere. <laughs> Obviously, yeah, it'll be locked up. Now, before we get on to the local experience, I just want to focus in on a couple of things. Now, you've spoken about your experiences in America. Yeah. I think the USA is almost a template in a lot of the ways they are able to sort of integrate sponsors into the fan experience. I mean, everywhere you go, it's a polished integration. They give away pretty good stuff. It, it's, it's just a real sort of template for where we should go. Is that a fair enough assessment? Oh, look, one thing, it's a much bigger population. Uh, another thing, the teams and the sponsors have got a lot more money. You know, it is it is true in a, in a sense there, but Australia does such an amazing job. The fan engagement staff that we have here, they do so many incredible things that I think, you know, we're probably the second best in the world um, apart from the USA in terms of fan engagement and the fan experience. We do such amazing things for our junior members here and memberships. You know, the US is really in awe of what we do with members. The, the US contacts that I have at clubs and in agencies and at stadiums, 
they just are in awe of how um, the teams here are able to engage the younger fans and, and really retain them as well. So it, it is interesting in that sense, you know, you, you talk about the US does it really well. I think a lot of it comes down to resources. You know, I spent some time with the Dallas Cowboys and I learned that they have 50 people in their um, ticket sales and digital team. And, you know, you come back to Australia and the teams that I work with, there's three or four in a, a fan engagement team kind of thing. Like, it's it's things like that. They've, they've really got a lot more resources and staffing and things like but that. But also I think the USA, it is driven on this notion of generating more money and always searching mm. to get every dollar of revenue possible. And, and when you go to a stadium, they make it easy for you to spend money. I mean, I went to right. the Houston Astros baseball stadium and I walked in and there was probably 10 things of thing, food I would actually buy and eat. You know, they had, you know, local Absolutely. stuff, they had different beers, they had different gourmet stuff. So you instantly you want to spend your money on that. And then you sit down and there's people walking around offering you beers and you can you don't even have to get up. You can just shell out your, your dosh and you get it delivered right to the seat. And the other thing I wanted to say about your, your question there was in America, I'm sure other listeners and yourself have seen it as well, when you go to a stadium or to a store or somewhere where customer service is involved – A lot of the time, it's really drilled into the staff that you say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, thank you, please. They they really have a customer service culture that, I I mean, I don't think we don't have it here in Australia, but when you go into a stadium here, a lot of the times, I don't even get a hello or a welcome or a, you know, thanks for coming today or something like that. But in America, sometimes the staff are so overly the top nice with sirs and pleases and, and, and things like that that it's a bit sickly sometimes because I don't think we're used to it that much back in Australia. Um, and I don't think we're, we really need to hear it or things like that. But it's interesting when this over-the-top customer service that has been drilled into them, and they have, you know, a lot of them do Disney training or they get the Disney staff in to train a lot of these NFL teams and NBA teams and things like that. So I think that is something that is done so well over there, the focus on customer service and, and really putting the customer first and the fan first. Yeah, and also... Also, I think as well, you spoke about with the mascots, but that's something that you really see. They really, in America, they try and do things for the kids. Uh, they have the mascots. They have things outside, jugglers, all types of things. I went to a baseball game where they let all the kids run the bases at the end of the game, you know, at Chicago White Sox home field. You know, and so for yeah. a young kid to go on a major league stadium and run the bases, that, that obviously draws them to the game and you know, make, make them a fan of baseball. Absolutely. And one of my whole philosophies, which I'm sure a lot of other people who work in that field is, you know, fan engagement. One of the easiest parts of it is it, it's, it can be so free. It can be so cost effective. It can be just about experiences and making, um, you know, small things be really big things for fans. And, uh, and so much of it is just about listening as well um, and trying to tap into, you know, you know, how you can help your fans. So, Well, let's focus in now on the way cricket operates in this country and how fans interact with the experience and the at the cricket what do you think about the fan engagement and the fan experience of cricket in this country yeah so i've done a fair bit of travel around for the i wrote about the bbl last year for a couple of articles and did a bit of a review i think a year before or so for the test match stuff I think the work that particularly the BBL team, Brisbane Heat, are doing around AR is incredible. What's AR, sorry? Augmented, re- uh, augmented reality. So 
they had a, a trading card basically where you could hold these normal trading cards, you know, and you'd hold them up, you'd put your phone over the top of it, and the trading card would come alive. And it, it's just new new ways of thinking, new technology, mm. and it looks very, very cool. And they've done a few other things as well around that space with AR as well. And AR is a huge area that is starting to come into more and more different fields. You know, I think the other day Snapchat or Instagram just released a, a, an AR-type filter on their one as well, and it's becoming a, a big part of all different parts of technology, as is virtual reality and, and all that as well. But the work that the Heat have done there, uh, I think they're up for a couple of awards soon as well, so um, that, that's that's really interesting what they're doing there. But the pool deck that they put in at the Gabba um, as well was incredible for the fan experience there. Um, the field of flavours, as I was talking about before, which I saw around Oz, you know, I was able to get, I think I got uh, a Turkish meal from a local Adelaide business who were there. Their food cart was there, which was really cool, but nice seating and under the trees and just gives you a really nice vibe when you're at the cricket there. And yes, you can eat the food that's inside the Adelaide Oval or whatnot, but you can also step outside and try this great local food and support a local business and i think there's something really nice about that as well well Um, how does then how do you find the test match experience has changed because i found say two or three years ago cricket australia seemed to didn't mm -hmm. really even empathize with a test viewing fan you know you're paying inflated prices in a lot of grounds you couldn't leave and come back you know there wasn't a lot of food options and then in the last few years, I've noticed that Cricket Australia seemed to have invested more in changing that dynamic and the fan engagement and experience around the test match and trying to set up things outside the grounds, allowing you to come in and out, trying yeah. to make it more fan-friendly experience because I think it for a while it hasn't been. What do you think about the test match experience? Look, I think going back 10, 10 years or maybe a tiny bit before that as well, uh, you'd go to the test match and, yeah, it was a bit stale because you were going for this age-old, you know, battle kind of thing. But I think in the last couple of years especially, you know, I've done Melbourne, Sydney, uh, Adelaide, Brisbane on and off for the last four or five years in different uh, test matches for different games. But um, it has been very exceptional. You know, I did the SCG and did the MCG last couple of years and outside the ground they've got a lot of um, inflatable kind of areas where kids can go and do bowling and batting and there's roving people giving away um, freebies and a lot of other sort of things happening outside the ground as well. And you need the space for those kind of things as well. So I think they've done uh, – they've really picked it up um, for fans around the fan engagement stuff in the last couple of years as well. You know, they had a – I think one of the freebies, if anyone remembers, if they went to a cricket game the last couple of years, you know, they'd get the free little – Banking uh, radio thing, and you'd be able to listen to the radio, and that's that's a cool little free giveaway that I've I've still been able to use. So interesting kind of stuff that they've done there. But the BBL, you know, it's it's an exceptional type of thing. You know, I I talk to a lot of my US and UK contacts, and they rave about the BBL as what it is because it's been such a huge way to get women and kids and families involved into cricket and fill out these stadiums over this six week period. And now they're expanding it. I think every team's getting another two games or something, so it might go for a tiny bit longer. But often in the family, the, the, the woman is the one who is – the wife is the one who's actually controlling their household income and the budget about where the disposable income is going to go. And there's been so many reports written about this kind of thing. So if they can sort of say that, you know, okay, this is a good use of our money, our disposable income, then we'll go to it. So that's what a lot of teams and, and leagues are trying to figure out. How do we get more women involved? How do we get more kids involved? and trying to focus more on that community side as well. And I think, you know, Cricket Australia has done a really good job of that. 
who knows this summer if we're actually going to get uh, a test series with the uh, the top players though there's obviously a lot of discontent at the moment amongst fans and the players as well about what's happening so it's going to be interesting isn't it yeah very interesting but just with the BBL I've noticed that the the big bash has brought in a lot of uh, little things from say going to a baseball game in America or going to an NBA game they've brought that into the BBL and it's a a fun energetic uh, experience going there with the family you know there's music all the time you know they, they really are working on that fan engagement at the BBL but, but I guess you know you have a discerning eye you've, you've looked across cricket in this country is there anything you've seen now where okay I think this can get better for the fans well yeah it's an interesting one I mean I think the BBL is a fantastic model for fan engagement uh, for families there's a lot of things that I see when I go to stadiums where things just, I guess, aren't working in the sense of, you know, whether it's the fan engagement's falling a bit flat or it's just typical, um, you know, cuddle cam or kiss cam. I mean, I think, you know, teams continually need to think outside the box and be reactive when it comes to, you know, what's happening in the world, what can we do? You know, the Pokemon Go thing last year was an incredible one. Like Pokemon Go exploded in that one week period or so or two week period and then all of a sudden a lot of teams were doing funny kind of interesting stuff with it. So I think if if teams can just have an open mind and stadiums as well about how can we jump on um, the next craze as it comes as well, that's a that's a really good way that they can continue to really push themselves out there. Like a lot of teams just last night, Adelaide Crows in the AFL just signed an esports team, and so they're the first major. Australian team to sign an esports. Well, what team is an upwards. esports team? Explain. Yeah, good point. So, <laughs> esports is obviously uh, in the gaming world and all that. So, you've got gamers who play, um, you know, some of these games like uh, League of Legends uh, and a few others. And, and this has become a huge industry. The money that's being put into uh, the prize money here, as well as the tournaments, is just exploding all over the world. You've got teams in the US, the Dallas Mavericks, the 76ers, um, some of these big tech teams that are really involved in tech are buying up uh, esports teams to then battle each other in esports tournaments. Wow. And so Adelaide have signed the first one as well. And it's another way that they're engaging fans across a different uh, area. So gaming, I don't know, it's probably a stereotype, but people wouldn't normally think that a lot of gamers who play League of Legends or something are then going to be AFL fans. So this is a way that they can join forces and bring in new fans. And it will bring in new fans that aren't AFL fans and potentially aren't gaming fans. And now there's this extra way that they can uh, engage fans. So, yeah, it's interesting, you know, to see what teams are doing in, in, in that space as well. So, But Adelaide's the first one in the AFL to do that. And I guess we'll see more of this. I mean, flowing into cricket, we'll see more, what, augmented reality, more engagement with the younger audience. Is, is that is that where the future's going? Absolutely. It's all about getting the young fans in, you know. If, if teams could do memberships for babies before they're even born, then they'd probably start doing them or something in the womb or something. But at the, <laughs> at the moment, it's, it's more about getting baby memberships and things like that. Like there was a great one a couple of years ago. At, a, at a, a team in the US, they basically had a, a deal where if you came to the game and you uh, were pregnant and you went into labour and you had a baby at the game, then you and the baby got lifetime membership for that team. And so, you know, like it's all about trying to get interesting ways to get, you know, young fans involved, get them in. And then if they're a fan of that team for 85 years, 
or 90 years of their life or something. Imagine the amount of money that they've pumped into that team over the course of their lifetime. That might be a good way to jump the queue for SCG or M- MCG membership. Just make your <laughs> yes. heavily pregnant wife camp there till she goes into labour. <laughs> something like that. But, but, I mean, you know, you think about it. What else are we fans of for 80 years of our life? Like, we hardly ever change teams unless something massive, dramatic happens um, with a team, whether it's a, a major public indiscretion or something, or if the team relocates and we can't go with them. What other things in our life are we that fanatical about? Maybe a band? But that's why I think the relationship is so important then to get it right Absolutely. from their point of view. That's why some people get so upset when their their team does something that, they disagree with or you know it really hits to your core so i think when it gets right. when they get it right you know you can really bring people in absolutely absolutely yeah well blair it's been a very interesting conversation have you got any tips for cricket australia coming up this summer if you could do one thing what would you do <laughs> Well, considering I just bought my tickets yesterday for the Ashes, I just hope the best 11 players in Australia are out there playing because at the core of all of this fan engagement stuff, there'll be listeners, I'm sure, who are just going, fan engagement's crap, I don't care about it, I'm there for the game. And I absolutely agree with them that I am there for the game as well. That is the only thing that really matters, the game that happens on the pitch because you can't get that at home, you can only get that live at the event. So. All I can hope for is that hopefully Cricket Australia do some really cool things around the fan experience, whether it's food and drink. Well, they might have to because fans will be playing. They would just be, <laughs> you know, handing yeah, out bag yeah. of greens at the door. Well, I've been working with a couple of stadiums around the, the craft beer kind of thing, trying to get more craft beer into stadiums. So I'm, I'm hoping that that's going to be something that we'll see more in our Aussie stadiums over the course of the summer. But in I the- think you've made many listeners very happy <laughs> with that thought. More craft beer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Could they right. mix that with a condom giveaway? Might sort of. Oh no, I don't know if that's going to be one. <laughs> Unless there's a men's health tie-in or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, Blair, thank you so much for your time on the Australian Cricket Podcast. Hope we can meet up in person one day. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on and talking about this uh, this fun area of fan engagement. So yeah. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Bye. Welcome back to the Australian Cricket Podcast. And this is the final act of the Autumn Series for 2017. And what a way to end it with our old friend Gav all the way from India. How are you, Gav? I'm well, man. It's a little bit homesick. I've still got the Champions Trophy to go before I you know, make the long journey back home. But I can't wait to get there and then come back home. But always good to be on Australian Cricket Podcast. I'll feel like I'm back home already. <laughs> well, I don't know if you've been keeping up with the podcast, but... While the IPL's been on, I've been calling interesting people all around the world to chat about cricket. I've spoken to Alison Mitchell, Mark Howard, Jared Kimber, uh, Cricket Australia. And this is the final episode. And before I spoke to you, I spoke to someone interesting about fan engagement. So that's the autumn series segment out of the way for this week. And now we're back into the cricket. But I do miss you. I'd like to see me, uh, you know, bottom of that pile. Um, but uh, or, or you can say the other way, the best go last. So whichever way you want to look at it. But I'm here for you, mate. We're always ready, ready for a chat now. So let's get on with it. Let's reveal a few things because I've been chatting to a few blokes over here during the IPL. I've been close to some of the Australian players. Um, and they've got a few things to say. So, yeah, let's have a good chat about it. Well, look, I don't want to delve too much into the wage dispute right now but what i do want to ask you is is have you heard anything from the players over there and do you think strike a strike by the players is a real possibility 
It's it's been whispered about, um, but I, I don't think a strike's going to happen. Uh, you know, I, I don't think players will be that drastic. I think that both one of those parties have to have to basically, you know, buckle down and and have that common discussion. I think it's gone a little bit too far, but. The you know, parties trying to threaten each other. I think in in this world is just just not correct, especially in sport. But that's just the way we're heading. Uh, realistically, no, I don't think they strike. Um, players certainly don't want to, uh, but they're just trying to st- stay together. So whoever the leaders are in that group, and it's driven by the ACA, and we've seen what David Warner's had to say as well. Um, Steve Smith's been a little bit harsh about it, and, and he knows he's going to expect a lot of this when he reaches uh, England in you know another three or four days' time. So. Um, I, I've spoken to you know, a few of the cricketers who've been here, and they seem a little bit harsh. It's all about staying united. That, that's the most important part for them. Uh, but, but realistically, I, I don't think a strike is going to happen. I think there will be a solution. I'm hearing that James Sutherland will probably be there over in England, and there will be some discussions taking place. So that, that's what I'm hearing from you know in India, where I've spoken to a few of the guys um, off record, of course. Well, I've been writing a little bit and actually wrote an article for The Raw where I said it's time for Cricket Australia to give up on trying to end the revenue sharing model. I think that they tried, but the players want to stick with the revenue sharing model, so they should just figure out a way of keeping that going, even if they negotiate on the figures and the percentages. But it's time for this bitter negotiation to come to an end, and they just have to nut out a revenue sharing model as the players want. Yeah, look, I think it comes down to the forecast that whatever has been presented to Cricket Australia's financial deals, probably you know they have to work out a, a, a solution, and that's where all these proposals have come from. And uh, we, we heard how you know some of the Australian fast bowlers are going to be approached uh, by, by having a you know three or four year deal and then stop them playing from the IPL. Now I can tell you, man, as like, ten years ago, the IPL deal for ten years was one billion dollars. Now what I'm hearing out from this part of the world is it could be up to you know seven or eight billion dollars over three years. Now you can just imagine the amount of pay hikes some of the Australian players are, get, are going to get, and that deal won't get done till about say maybe even October, November, till end of this year. So Cricket Australia have probably taken that positive and initiative to try to secure their players because they know that once this broadcast deal is out, the players will have realistic figures on potentially how much they can earn um, over the next sort of coming, you know, three, four, five IPL seasons, which is, you know, if Steve Smith or Ben Stokes is getting close to that one, two, three million mark, it could potentially be, you know, over $10 million or something. So I think that's why a lot of this is been driven as well and of course it's you know we'll probably touch on it probably not that it's the protecting the domestic side of things as well um, with the domestic players you've got someone like Matt Renshaw imagine if he goes and plays under test for Australia but doesn't participate in the big bash um, what does he get out of it because if he's just playing test cricket and not one day cricket um, it's all about protecting these sorts of players and, and similar issues have been coming up through other cricketing ranks as well I think we've just seen it first Australia um, but I think we'll see it happen globally as well. I mean, of course, the other ones don't have such a secure financial model as Australia, but we've just come at the crossroads. 20 years is a long time, and some of these decisions just have to be made. Yeah, I just don't think the general public really cares. They want 
this sorted out so they see the best team on the paddock. But, Gav, you gave me a beautiful little segue there into the IPL because I don't want to get caught up in this wage dispute. This is a cricket show. And you you mentioned the TV deal in the IPL. And I don't... I did, I did tell you perhaps before you went that I was going to pay more attention to this IPL because you were one person that suggested I should also. A lot of the players during the Big Bash were talked very fondly of the IPL. So I have been comparing it to the Big Bash League. And here's my take, Gav, that the IPL has the star power that the Big Bash doesn't. So in each team, there's three or four superstars and you've got the Australian stars over there. Whereas in the Big Bash, you don't really have that core group of stars because they're not available. The Australian and overseas stars aren't available for the Big Bash. But standard-wise, I think the the IPL and the Big Bash aren't too far apart. Just that high-quality player in the IPL probably gives it a, a shade on the Big Bash. What do you think of that hot take? Yeah, I agree. But that, you know, the star player power just makes that huge difference. It's it's almost like a, a club cricketer when we're going out to bat, when we know the opposition's only got one good bowler and we just say, well, Minutes, you can take strike and just negotiate him and we'll go after the, 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 the next bowler. Um, and, and in IPL, sometimes you have to manage because there's two very good opponents and it's similar, you know, batting-wise and bowling-wise where you might have David Warner and, you know, you've got like someone like Sheikha Davano opening with him so suddenly you've got two stars there well in the in the big bash you almost say that well if, if we can you know get rid of one player unlikely the other one's going to do as serious damage as the other one so it might be that just the star power as you mentioned just the limitations of it um, but that has a significant impact as you go deeper into the game and also the amount of the coaches that which, are, which are here as well I mean a lot of them do overlap um, but I think it's just a background analysis that goes on I've spent a few quality hours with some of the video analysts that and, and I bet and you they, love that I bet you Effing love oh, mate, that. Just some of the some of the things that these guys conjure up, and speaking to you know a couple of the guests that you've had on the show as well, I won't mention the names, but they were mighty impressed, and they just feel that's one part of the aspects where that data is probably not as highly analysed as what it is in the IPL. Whether that's, I mean, we both love good cricket data, don't we? Oh, we yeah, absolutely. I mean, it just doesn't get better. Uh, absolutely. So mix that with some video. Oh, it starts with, you know, every third ball and you've got someone like Karen Pollard who, who never plays a big shot against a left-arm spinner and a, and a leg spinner in the first six balls he faces. I mean, it's data like that. And that's from derived from sort of past. Exactly. So uh, that's probably one thing and uh, that it's probably a little bit behind is the big bash. And I mentioned that star power. The potential is there, but when when when, you, when you've got, I know it hasn't been the best season for someone like uh, uh, RCB, but if you AB De Villiers, Coley, and Gale and Water, Sam Watson, the top four, I mean, you can't get that in the big bash, and you get some amazing matchups as well. You you know you'll get that you know bowlers bowling star batsmen. You talked about AB De Villiers and Coley, and you know them you know yeah. Imran Tahir bowling to them and stuff like that. I just think though that the the IPL is a bit overrated because there's a few players in those IPL sides that I'm not convinced would even make a big bash side. 
Uh, it depends on the conditions, of course. Some of the Australian fast no, bowlers won't make it into the. That's your joke card. Goes, that's your joke card. But I still think there's a oh, few well, that you could see the fielding, and you know, a couple of the local domestic Indian players. I don't think would make a big bash side. Well, a couple of um, some of the Australian star players, Austin Kavaja, can't get the gig in the IPL team minutes. So <laughs> there you go. That probably shows off. It shows the quality there. I mean, about a young bloke or. Rahul Tripathi, who's come through, and Steve Smith, you know, he's, he's backed him over, even likes of Usman Kawaja. So, um, I like the energy, though. I like the energy in the stadiums. I mean, when you turn it on, it's colourful, all the fans are going nuts, and the double headers on the weekend really work. I like that, how almost every Saturday and Sunday there's two games, so, you know, you can click into a lot of cricket. I like the idea of fan parks as well this year. They've gone to remote parts of India and set up fan parks, which is generally, you know, in terms of India, when it comes to spectator watching, that's the least, you know, target of of all the administrators. As long as the game goes on TV, that's that's the main sort of objective. But they've set up fan parks across different cities over weekends for those double headers. I think that's been a really good move. Uh, but I spoke to Aaron Finch uh, in one of the interviews, and he said. Look, it's it's sheer, the sheer volume. I mean, two things that make a big difference is sheer volume that India has, and plus we just don't get out you know, top ten, twelve players to play um, in the big bash there, and, and and that probably you know sort of affects it. But advice on the other hand, we get to see all these emerging players come through that we've never heard of. So um, you can look at it both ways, but I think we need to just have that Australian feel to it and, and, and get the likes of, you know, the Warner and Smith at least playing in three or four matches. Yeah, it's ridiculous that the only way to see them play T20 cricket is to watch the IPL. Yeah, well, at the moment, that's the best. And, I mean, you know, David Warner continues to shine. He's probably going to be the leading run scorer again. Um, unless Gautam Gambi does something remarkable over the next two matches. But, uh, but absolutely, we've got to get the Australian players. And, and, and that's what it comes down to. So I still think the lack of quality. I mean, I think even this year, there have been 33 or 23 catches that were dropped in the big bash. So, But, but the other big factories are, are, are and in terms of skill wise is I think the bigger grounds make a little bit of difference I think some of the Australia uh, the grounds are a lot bigger so the running twos and threes comes into it a lot more while in I'm sure we can get some data on that yeah I'll, I'll need to chase that up but um, <laughs> I'll, I'll get something for you now now uh, Gav I want to ask you about the captaincy issue because we've seen three Aussies take command of IPL franchises this year, and you've been up close and personal. So I want to ask you about Glenn Maxwell. He was the captain of the Kings Eleven Punjab this year. Is that correct? Yep, that's absolutely spot on. And how did he take to leadership? I mean, he's not someone over here, perhaps, that we would associate with the leadership role. I'm sure Matty Wade doesn't. Uh, what? What? How did he go? Well, I think his leadership on the field was quite good. His tactics were were quite well. But I just thought there was another couple of driving forces there behind some of the tactical decisions. And you probably heard or seen some of the Twitter rants of mine. Or, because I, I just feel if, if Glenn Maxwell's in that team, he's the captain, he makes the decisions. Surely he's the best batsman in that team. He's got to be batting in the top three. I just am amazed how why he's batted four or five 
at even number six, and he and and that's Glenn Maxwell. Here he is in Sri Lanka six months ago, and he and he scored hundred and thirty odd. Yeah. So I mean, but some of those tactics either he doesn't have full power or for the full control. Because surely, if you ask Glenn Maxwell privately and say, Glenn, where do you want to bat? I'm sure he said he'll either say opening the batting or bat at number three. So. Clearly, you know, there's some decision affecting, and and we probably saw that when his his coach Rinda Sewag sort of blasted his foreign batsman a little bit. So, uh, tactically, he's been good, but you, you think I don't think he's had the full um, full control of, of of what's to be done in the team. And uh, it would be it would have been interesting to see if he did have that, because I'm sure you would have seen him bat at the top three or all, all the time, and and might have produced him. You know, might have been enough to get. Um, his team into the semi-finals. Yeah, he looked a bit stressed uh, at times toward the end of the tournament, Maxi. So I think it was obviously a big learning curve for him, his first major assignment of captaincy. What about uh, David Warner? He he drew rave reviews last year for his captaincy of the Sunrisers Hyderabad. How has he gone building on from that? Yeah, he's, uh, I think he's got a very good support staff around him as well. Tom Moody is a terrific man manager as well. I think David Warner, he just he just knows and he leads from the front. I think he's that that traditional Australian captain likes to play up front. I think his his tactical decision making is probably he hasn't had to look too much into it um, as much as he did last year. I think that, but, but he, again, once again, a very solid performance. He's always there, um, and he's uh, from speaking to him and likes of you know. Rashid Khan and, and, and some of the Afghani players who've come through under David Warner, they're super impressed because he just relaxes them, he says. that's his, He doesn't, you know, have so much sort of tries to drag the best out of him. Just imagine if you do go for runs, that's just naturally part of the game. So I think relaxing the players is probably his greatest strength. And he, and he remains calm as well. And he leads from the front, um, which a lot of the Australian skippers do. So uh, he probably has to be able to or hasn't been asked to think as much as he did last year. Um, but, but look, again, another super impressive season again for David Warner. Well done, Warner. Now, what about the Australian captain, Steve Smith? Uh, my concern is that captaining the rising Pune Supergiants would tax him mentally. Uh, I've been watching you know, some of the games. He looks like he's been... He's, he's sort of diminished in performance with the bat over the IPL season. He looks to me a little bit tired, but then he's got MS Dhoni there to help him. H- how do you think Smith's going? Is he burnt out? Should I be worried? Should the listeners be worried? Should Australia be worried? No, Steve Smith's that type of character who just wants to constantly play cricket. I've seen some practice session at Pune Menace and Steve Smith's batted for four hours because <laughs> he just loves it. I mean, <laughs> he just loves to be out there and just, you know, hold a bat in his hand and just keep playing cricket. Now, whether that's taxing, look, they're elite sportsmen. If he wants to be out there and that's what's best for him, I think we should stick by that. You know, he, he's had a pretty good year. Um, yes, he's struggled a little bit in, in the back end of the year, but, you know, never know, a big performance in the finals likely on the cards. But you mentioned MS Dhoni. I think he's had a very good influence on that 
team as well. Um, they've both been able to share. I think Stephen Fleming has played a key role as well. But we see even during the strategic timeouts that you get in the IPL, where Steve Smith, you know, runs out if he's not batting, if he's been dismissed, he runs out to the middle, has a chat with Donny or the batsman, and, and talks about the tactics. So he's very hands-on. So I've been very impressed how he's been able to balance. It's not easy sometimes to captain when you've had someone like Emma Stone, who's captain India for you know in all formats for nearly a decade, which is which is something that nobody in world cricket's been able to do. Um, so to be able to to be able to combine with him and take Pune Super Giants um, all this far to work with international players like Imran Tahir, I know he speaks pretty highly of him as well. And and as I mentioned, okay, a young kid called Rahul Tripathi who's come through and, and he speaks volumes of Steve Smith saying the way how it's just asked him to relax and you know go and enjoy yourself and 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 talk to, a little bit about you know batsmanship as well. So that's very good to see. That's what you want from a leader. So, and I think some of his tactics have been very good as well. He's gone to the right players, right time. Um, he's strung a good bond with even Ben Stokes. So, uh, look, look I, I think Steve Smith get, get, gets all the ticks in my book. I think he's been excellent in, in leadership. Um, what about the reception of the Eng- Indian public? Obviously, there was a lot of animosity at the back end of the Test Series versus Australia. Has, has that all been forgotten now and, and the public fully behind all these Australian plays or there is is there a sort of lingering animosity? No, I don't think that. I think that's well and truly gone. I that's think, nice. Uh, you know, yeah, I think it may be a little bit, you know, as, as was pointed out in the press, that probably got a few people heated up more than anything. I mean, on, on the field, uh, and and you know Coley hasn't attended a press conference or <laughs> IPL season, so that but that's also probably healthy. He hasn't had to fire off any verbals as well. Uh, but look, uh, you know, Jinka Rahani and Steve Smith get, get along as well as any two cricketers going around in world cricket. That's um, nice. Uh, what about what about our old mate Shane Watson? I've I've heard rumours that Shane Watson had a really rough IPL. I must, uh, you know, I didn't watch too many of the RCB games because they were at the bottom of the table for the whole comp. How did Watto go and what happened to him? Is it all over? Yeah, well, it almost looks like it. I'm not, I'm not sure where he stands in playing in the IPL. He might get a mental role if um, his former team, Rajasthan Royals, come back into the IPL next year. I think he's probably better off as a mentor because I, I just don't think he's he, got that. He could sing before. The games. I mean, he's quite a talented guitarist and vocalist. No, I could, it could be a video analyst and tell them not how to get trapped LBW. But uh, it, it, it's funny in T20 cricket, they were showing a stat and how rarely Watto's been out LBW in the IPL in the last 10 years. <laughs> he's, he's certainly doing something right in the IPL in terms of his technique. But um, look, I, I. Yeah, he's it, trying to hit the ball. It, <laughs> that's absolutely. And with his bat, not his pad. Um, look, I, I just think, you know, he's probably past it. His bowling doesn't quite cut it. There's seamers, there's cutters, um, and it's been a lot batting friendly wickets, and his pace is just dipped. And I think batsmen have learned to read him so well; they know what he's going to do after a couple of balls. Um, and 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 he's batting. I mean, in that formidable team. I mean, let's face it, Sam Watson's arguably best uh, position is up the top of the order, and he just you can't fit Sam Watson top four when you've got Abed Villiers and 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 you know oh, Kale yeah. Rahul who's missing this Kale. year. Gale, exactly. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's a bit unfortunate. I don't know. I don't think he's quite that number five and he offers you a few overs. There, there's a few Indian players, the domestic players who can do that. So I'm not sure where he fits into it. Goodbye, Wado.
good by what unless there's a ten team IPL competition next year, then he might just just be able to fit in. Well glittering career IPL career for what are the only I think the only player to win two player of the tournament awards. Now I'm pretty sure about Phenomenal. Yeah. Now now Gav um <laughs> want to get into some articles you've been writing. You've been submitting some fine pieces of work for foxsports.com.au and I've gone on there and read them. And uh, there's some you've spoken to some interesting cricketers. And let's start with Rashid Khan. Now, when I spoke to Jared Kimber a couple of weeks ago, he nominated him as one of the most interesting cricketers going around world cricket. Uh, you spoke to him about his desire to come to Australia and play in the Big Bash League. Do you think he'd fit in at the Big Bash League? And 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 do you how do you think how good do you think his bowling is? Look, it's been mighty impressive. I mean, it, you know, I think I've spoken to Moses and Rex about him, and he just said, you know, he a lot of the even the Indian cricketers have failed to pick him up because he bowls so quick. He bowls at ninety five hundred k's an hour nearly, and just does enough. So, so he's really. But can, can the Australian pitchers offer him that just that enough deviation to fool or the batsman? That's going to be the biggest challenge for him. Look at Farwood Ahmed last year. He had patches of really good success and he's not a big turner of the ball uh, yeah but i think far it's a, a different kind of i think he has more of a classical action but it can probably his action and just ability to, because it's got a, such a quick cam action and he bolts that googly so quick it's really hard to pick um so that gives it away but that that's it's going to be something that he has to overcome, even if he doesn't play in the big bash going ahead. Because a lot of, the, as I mentioned at the start of the show, the video analysis that would be done about him. There's people, you know, who, who feel he does his wrong, and you can pick his wrong when he lifts his right leg a little bit more. So all sorts of those things get analysed over years and you know months. And um, if, if he's good enough, then you know, let's see how he comes into the second year of IPL. But, uh, look, I mean, you'd be crazy not to pick him in the big bash. I, I, I think he's a great bowler. And, and leg spinners, it's the year of leg spinners in T20 cricket. Let's face So he'd be the first Afghanistan player to play in the big bash? Yep, absolutely. So, um, and I mentioned in that article, there's probably, yeah, well, he's already said, you know, two or three franchises have approached him. Uh, Tom Moody, who's his coach at Sunrise, is director of cricket at the Renegade, so I won't be surprised if he follows him. Or, or, or Moses Enriques, who he's formed a really good tight bond with, uh, um, might lure him across the, you know, in, at the sixes, at your sixes, Menace. My um, so sixes. It'll be your sixes. I know you're, you Man, always sixes. got that sixes. You've got your sixes hat on all the time and your clothes Big all time. the time. I love the magenta. <laughs> and I'd love to see Rashid Khan in the magenta next summer on the turning decks of the SCG. Now, in another one of your articles, you pointed out something that I'd never realised, that Travis Head and A.B. de Villiers look exactly the same. Now, I, I'm not surprised people go up to Travis Head and ask for A.B. de Villiers' autograph. It's uncanny, the likeness. Uh, one thing, though, that was even more of a surprise is Head's power has shone through in the IPL. So what do you think about their likeness and Head's power? Oh, look, it, uh, man, it's just funny because we, when we were actually doing the interview, sitting in the hotel lobby, uh, one of the fans approached us and 
virtually told me. He said, can I please get, um, can I get Mr. A.B. to sign something? And I said, firstly, he's, you know, he's not A.B. de Villiers. Secondly, we're doing an interview. So, and then the minute we left, by the time we walked out to the main lobby, you know, they, the fans started to stand up and just go around him and say, look, A.B., A.B. So definitely there is <laughs> a resemblance there. Um, as I wrote in the piece, you know, it's not, if he wasn't wearing the shirt which had a head written on it, I think most of Bangalore Stadium would still be cheering uh, ABD, ABD throughout the 20 overs when he feels there. Um, so, but look, look, he's spent a lot of time. There's a different to power game as well. Um, and it will be interesting to see where he bats in the Champions Trophy, man. There's, I think he might be given the responsibility of batting at number four. I think he's had a fantastic 12 months since he debuted for Australia. He's got the power. Where would you like to see him, top or middle order? Do you think he should open with Warner or four or five? I like him at number four. I think he's that type of cricketer who will give you long innings. Um, but, you know, he can play to the situation. I think he's a very good player at, um, for Australia and left-hander as well. And he plays spin bowling quite well, has the sweep shot. Um, so I think number four, I think it's a big opportunity here for the Travis Head. Uh, just to lock down that number four spot in the Champions Trophy and for the long time. Given he's only 23 years of age, uh, I think there's, a, especially in white ball cricket, there's definitely a, a big future for him. He didn't look out of place on the Royal Challengers Bangalore batting lineup against all those superstars. So he's certainly chock full of talent. Another player chock full of talent and power is Chris Lynn. Now he spoke to Linny. Uh, he had he got injured. Uh, early in the tournament. Has anyone told him not to dive in the field yet? Or can you tell him? Well, I've told him. I've mentioned, I said, can you give up the diving in the field? And he, and he said, um, well, a couple of times he's actually injured his shoulder during fielding drills and practice sessions. And that's where he feels he needs to get that balance right. In the heat of the moment, in in a match, he's going to die regardless. So he said, I can't hold back. And that's just, you know, I'm playing representing Australia or Queensland or or, or Brisbane Heat. Um, I'm going to go take that catch. Uh, but but it's, he's actually heard a couple of times in, in fielding sessions uh, and that's where he needs to be to careful and I, when I asked him I said it would stop you from hitting sixes he, he just laughed and he said if, I, if it stopped me from hitting sixes I'll just give up on cricket so that was <laughs> nice to hear because we all want to see him hit those more sixes and he's certainly been in great form in the IPL again. He's been lighting it up I saw that partnership he had with Sunny on the Rhine where they both scored 50s in no time, put 100 on in six overs. Nothing's changed there. Uh, do you think, though, he's at the stage in his career where he might consider giving up the possibility of test cricket and leave first-class cricket behind and just play T20 cricket and white ball cricket? No, I don't think so. I think he's only he's only 26 years of age. We forget, and he's just been hampered by injuries. I think he's played four shield matches in the last three years because of injury. Um but and just before that, he was in some really good form. If you look at his first-class average, it's around 43-44. Now, that, that's not too bad. I think three years ago when he was trying to get or string those games together, he even scored a double hundred. Um, so I think there's still a long way to go for Lean. I think he just needs to control his game. Uh, again, like I said about Travis Head, if he gets into that 11 in the Champions Trophy, it's going to be interesting to see how he goes about his batting uh, because he discussed it. He said, well, I played that one game for Australia and I've come in the eighth over and I've tried to tonk it out of the 
park. I just have to be a little bit mindful. You know, there's a little bit more time in the 50-over game. And it's about his game against spin bowling that he's done really well in the IPL, where he said, because pace is my strength in spinners, even if I work the singles, chances are I'm going to get a fast bowler from the other end. And that's where my strengths are. So I think he's getting to know his game really, really well. He's worked with likes of Jack Callis as well. And so I, I, I don't think so. I think he's at the age of 26, he's still got a long way to go. And why to see him wear a baggy green if he can, you know, pull off a couple of good seasons for Queensland in first-class cricket? Yeah, that's an exciting prospect. But uh, you did me a big favour and you actually asked him about his thoughts on Christmas Day cricket because you know I'm starting a campaign for Christmas Day, Big Bash Cricket, and I know you, you asked him. And in the article you said he wasn't too enthused with the idea of playing cricket on Christmas Day. How was his tone and his sort of look when you put it to him? I mean, did he look like you could win him over? No, no chance of winning him over. I think he loves the Christmas lunch oh, with his family. I can't believe this. So you're gone, man. Your, your idea is outrageous. He, he, he basically told me whoever's put this out there and whoever's campaigning it for and I said, apart from Cricket Australia, he said, uh, the podcast, and he said, no, nah, it's out. He might even go on strike, Menace. If there's wow. a Christmas Day game, he might be on strike. So imagine Big Bash on Christmas Day without Chris Lynn. Well, we might have to make it a data day where you and I just get up close and personal <laughs> with the stats for the Big Bash. Anyway, so that's a roadblock. Obviously, he doesn't want to play. I hope he changes his mind. Now, you spoke about the 11 for the Champions Trophy, and one player that won't be picked in the 11 because he's not in the squad is Usman Khawaja. Uh, Look, you wrote a good article where you clearly outlined, and I've spoken on the podcast about this, his situation where he was basically rested from some one-day games and then dropped for the Champions Trophy. I mean, he must must be struggling. What's your What's your impression? Yeah, it's hard to overcome that. But uh, as he mentioned, I mean, he was he had a chat to you know, Darren Lehman about it. But it's, it's only one thing a chat can do. I mean, here he is he's trying to prove his place in, in the one-day game. He, he gets told not to go to New Zealand to train for India. He trains his house down. He tries really hard in the nets. And then he just doesn't get a game in the test series as well. So what he said is exactly right. So basically, it's they've wasted his chance to represent Australia in three one-day games. Where And perhaps if you've made 100 there or made a couple of good scores, he might be in that Champions Trophy squad. He hasn't had or hasn't had any game time with, with the Pune Supergiants either. So it's been a pretty frustrating sort of last two or three months for, for Usman Gawaja. But on the good side, he spent a lot of time on his fitness and, and so forth, and he said there's no off-season, but it, because I haven't been playing, I've almost treated it as an off-season to work on, on my game, which is good to see, but he, he'll be on the plane home, unfortunately, next sort of you know week or two um, after the IPL's done. He's, he's one of the he's still there. Who knows if we see a really flat picture, Pune might gamble on playing him as well. So, How's his mindset, though? Because he's been very relaxed and very at peace the last couple of years. You know, he seems to have really sort of come into his own and matured. Australian cricket's at a risk of losing this guy. If they keep treating him badly, you know, they're going to really make it hard for him, aren't they? Well, he has to be the number three in the Ashes going forward. I mean, or, or what happens? I mean, given that you know, potentially playing a test series against Bangladesh in two, two months, I mean, would he be part of that? 
team, given, you know, Renshaw. Mm-hmm. Where does Sean Marsh start? I've tried really hard to get track of Sean Marsh during the IPL manners. I've had no success, unfortunately. He's not returning um, Gav's calls. This is... Uh, this is terrible. he's not he hasn't he hasn't he hasn't returned Maxi's calls who's in the same team as him I just wanted to ask Sean that if, if does he think that his test career is over and did they take him to Bangladesh well obviously if you lead off with that he's not going to pick up the phone mm. did you send him a text message do you think your test career is over yeah so so Usman Khawaj is in trouble let Let's hope he has. No, it. I don't think so. I, I think he. I think he still be the. Even if he doesn't go to Bangladesh, I think he'll be the. You know, he'll be the number three when we pick the Ashes team. I think it's just for the conditions. He felt that. You know, maybe there is someone better out there. I mean, Sean Marsh is always going to get get a game in India because uh, he made a hundred in the, the previous uh, test in Asia in Sri Lanka. So, and it was always going to be close between Renshaw and and Kalaj. And from what I heard from sources was. That the, the way Renshaw really improved in those seven days in Dubai, uh, it was always hard to leave him out. And then, you know, from, from there, it's always difficult to get Kawaja into, into the team. And that, that's just how cricket goes. But come Ashes, I think he'll still be walking out at number three for Australia with Smitty at four. Good one. Now, over there in the IPL, there's been some other Aussies. Uh, who've done well, I know Adam Zampa's been there, Andrew Ty, James Faulkner. Just give me sort of a general rundown of any of those players or how they've stood out. One guy somebody probably hasn't mentioned much is Nathan Coulton. I what he's been really impressive, man. Is he, uh, we've talked about him having that extra pace, but I've never seen him bowl consistently in the over 145. He's been able to swing the ball. He, he, he's kept, you know, like Umesh Yadav, um, who was very good during the test series against India, um, uh, against Australia, sorry, been able to keep him out, and he's almost become the go-to bowler uh, for Gautam Gambier at KKR. So he's one guy that not enough people have been speaking about. Maybe we'll get to see a little bit more of him in the last two games of the IPO if, if Kolkata managed to scrape through to the finals. Uh, the other players, have, you know, notably David Warner's had a very good year again. Um, we've seen in between of James Faulkner. His batting just hasn't been up to, uh, up to the mark. They, they pick him as a finisher, but he just hasn't been able to do the job a couple of times. Um, his bowling's okay, but it's a batting. I don't think, you know, we've just seen enough of that batting. Aaron Finch, Interestingly, he's batted predominantly in the middle order, which is quite strange, but I think he's done the job well. I mean, it's not easy to come in against spin bowling, but uh, I think he's, yeah, overall, it's been, uh, I was surprised that Billy Stanley didn't get a, a couple of more games, given, you know, the RCB were losing so much. I thought he might have been thrusted into the zone a little bit more by Coley, but he's missed out. We've spoken about Travis Head. Uh, disappointing not to see Kawaja get a game, but that's just the balance of the IPL and the co- healthy competition uh, uh, that's been around. Well, Gav, that was a really good wrap-up of the IPL. You've you've highlighted the Aussies. I guess one player from that one that stands out is James Faulkner, left out of the Champions uh, Trophy squad. He's probably another player whose career is at a crossroads almost. Yeah, the, the, he's on standby. I thought if Marcus Jones wasn't fit, then maybe James Faulkner would have been able to push the, his way in. But uh, overnight, I'm sure you would have heard that Stornis has been declared fit mm. for the Champions Trophy. The one I forgot to mention was Moses Enriques, and we've got to remember that he's in the Champions Trophy. Uh, he's batted at number three for Sunrisers, Bolts and Bulls. Uh, ben Cutting, 
uh, man of the match in last year's IPL. Uh, but just going back to Faulkner, yes, it's, it, it just hasn't been, you know, he, he didn't play in the first four or five games as well. Yeah, it's, it, it is a bit of a tough time for James Faulkner. I think he might need to work a little bit more on his bowling. Um, and batting needs to come good. Where the, when the team needs runs, he needs to score runs. That just hasn't happened, and that's probably why um, he's been cut out of that squad. Well, Gav, it sounds to me, this is my reading, that the Aussies have dominated the IPL, and uh, I think it's been a success for them. Yeah, absolutely. Another name we uh, nobody mentions is Dan Christian. He, he's played an integral part of that Pune. The Super Giants team, uh, a little bit more responsibility in the final as well, with Ben Stokes going on. Uh, another player as well that we continue, you know forget to mention. But look, a, lo- a lot of these keep popping up and keep doing that little parts I mentioned started the show. It's, it's, it's just not always the big, you know, the 60s or the you know, four wickets for 20 runs. It's what those couple of overs in between and what the filling players can do. And some of the Australian players in terms of filling jobs have seen uh, Andrew Ty been absolutely phenomenal for Gujarat Lions uh, in, in, in the bowling department, which has been pretty poor to say the least. So look, as you mentioned, yes, Australians, they do keep standing out. And watch out. Uh, we could see, you know, Nathan Coulton Isle or, 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 or somebody else really stand up in that IPL final. Um, or perhaps it's just going to be someone like Steve Smith or Adam Zamper even. Well, the Aussies taking the IPL by storm. The Aussie Premier League, I'm going to dub it now. Gav, thank you so much for your time. Uh, so you said when we started you're, you're going to England for the Champions Trophy? Yeah, I'll be, I'll be there sometime next week once the IPL is finished. Uh, the warm-up games, of course, uh, we play the Kiwis up in Birmingham. Um, and then we head off to playing Bangladesh, who had no easy uh, beats anymore. And before we take on the old enemy, England, um, in in Birmingham. So I hope to get you back in the studio. Um, you know, the, the the autumn series is coming to an end. We're getting back in studio. So hopefully, at the end of the Champions Trophy, I can lure you back in and we can have a chat in person. Certainly. I can't wait to get home and can't wait to the studios. Love those mics you have, Menas. They're fantastic. We'll cuddle up with some data and get behind the mics. So, Gav, take care. Thanks for all your great work and I'll speak to you soon. Speak soon. Well, listeners, that's the end of the Autumn Series. I hope you enjoyed it. I want to thank all the guests for coming on. Alison Mitchell, Mark Howard, Sean Carey from Cricket Australia, Jared Kimber, Blair Hughes, and, of course, Gav brought it home at the end there. Thank you so much for listening to the Autumn Series, and I'll be back on the 29th of May with a full studio show. I've got Macker and Scott Bailey in, so stay tuned for an update on all the news, and we'll be back soon.